This is Dream Power Radio, the place where your dreams turn into reality. Here is your host, Debbie Specter Weissman. Hello, 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 and welcome to Dream Power Radio on the amazing Women and Men of Power Network, the world's leading positive programming network powered by Raven International. I'm your host, Debbie Specter Weissman, the Dream Coach. This is the show where we talk about dreams, both daytime and nighttime dreams, and how you can use them to make the internal shift to a life you love and rediscover the truth of who you really are. When I first began my study of dream work, I didn't know everything about what we can learn from these visions we have in the night. I started by focusing on individual dreams, one at a time, getting some insights about what I thought they were telling me, and that was that. But over time, I realized that dreams actually open up a fascinating new world for us and not only help guide us, but heal us, inspire us, and so much more. We're going to dive into all these aspects of dream work with my guest, dreamologist Laurel Clark. Laurel has been teaching about dreams for years and has authored numerous books, including Intuitive Dreaming and has contributed to many others, including the Encyclopedia of Sleep and Dreams. Welcome to Dream Power Radio, Laurel. Thanks, Debbie. It's great to be here. Oh, it's my pleasure. Laurel, when did you first realize that dreams were important to you? You know, I think as far back as I can remember, I was aware of dreams. I mean, I remember dreams that I had as a young child before I was even in kindergarten, In terms of learning what those dreams were telling me, that started when I was in college and I was going to a counselor who had a gestalt background. And so we worked with my dreams and therapy. And then from there, I have attended schooling for years to learn about how to interpret dreams, my own, as well as helping other people with theirs. So you wrote a book called Intuitive Dreaming. What do you mean by intuitive dreaming? So that's a great question. There are some dreams that people consider everyday dreams that are symbolic, in my opinion, dreaming about other people that the dream isn't really about another person. It's about an aspect of ourselves that that person represents. Intuitive dreaming some people call extraordinary dreams. So for example, when someone dies, they can come to visit us in the dream state or we can visit them. So it is an actual visit or meeting with that spirit who's no longer in physical form. That's one type of intuitive dream. Having a telepathic dream where somebody who is still alive is thinking something and we are aware of what they are thinking in our dream state. Clairvoyant dreams, being able to perceive or see clairvoyantly something that's happening maybe in another part of the world. Precognitive dreams, which is dreaming about the probable future. So all of those sometimes called extraordinary dreams, sometimes they're called side dreams, spelled PSI which are more than symbolic experiences. How common do you think these type of dreams are? You know, 
I believe personally that everybody has some dream like that at least once in their life. I think that they are probably more common than many people realize. And the reason that I say that is when I talk about visitation dreams, I've had two very powerful visitation dreams after my husband died. When I talk about those every single time, no matter who I'm with, somebody says, oh my gosh, I had a dream like that too. I dreamt of somebody who had died. And sometimes they have never talked about it before because they don't want somebody to talk them out of it or to say, oh, that was just wish fulfillment. And so that's why I think they're more common than people realize is that sometimes people don't want to talk about it. So I bet when you do reveal your dreams to these people, they get some sort of peace or you know, closure out of that also. Yes, I think so. I mean, there's something about the inner experience that's very comforting. It's usually very centering. And I think that having a true visitation dream, the dreamer knows that it was a visitation, that it wasn't just their imagination or they weren't just making it up. And so having somebody who can affirm that is very helpful to people. When you had the visitation dreams about your husband, I imagine at that point you were already aware of what it was when it happened, or was it something that surprised you? Well, the first dream that I had, first of all, let me say that my husband also knew about dreams. And before he died, we had a long distance relationship for a while. And so we actually used to play around with meeting each other in our dreams. We would call it dream dates. We would decide on a certain night that we were going to meet in our dreams. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. So we had already established a very strong telepathic connection and a strong connection with our dreams. And when he died, I wasn't there. We didn't have a chance to say goodbye. And I just thought he would come to me in a dream so that we could have a, a goodbye closure. And when that didn't happen, I can't remember exactly how long it was, maybe a month, maybe six weeks after he died. I actually asked for him to come to me in a dream. I, I wrote him a very heartfelt letter in my dream journal kind of pleading to him to come to me in a dream state. And the dream I had that night, I was at a graduation ceremony and I saw a stage that was kind of far off and there were a group of people sitting in a semicircle on the stage. And I saw him there and I couldn't tell if he saw me or not. I knew that I saw him. And then as the dream was ending, this man who I don't know came up to me and handed me my Bible that Apparently, I'd left sitting on the edge of the stage. And when I picked it up, this little piece of paper fluttered out. And on it was a heart that was in John's handwriting. And I knew that that was his way of telling me that he loved me. And I also knew, and this was very interesting, that the reason he had not come to me before that in a dream is that he was still graduating, as it were, to this existence on the other side, and he didn't yet have the ability to communicate verbally. So when you're asking if it was surprising, how that dream happened was surprising, because I was expecting we would 
you know, meet, we would hug each other, we would get to say the things we hadn't had to say. What I wasn't expecting that bittersweet kind of experience, but it was very affirming because I knew that he heard me. I knew that he loved me. I hadn't had any doubt about that. And I also knew that I just needed to be patient to give him time to get adjusted to this existence on the other side. That's fascinating. And, you know, I'm fascinated by what you said about that he had to graduate to be able to to speak to you or, or to reveal himself in your dreams. It is an amazing view into what the other side looks like. In my opinion and perception, I think that when people die, it's a similar experience to being born. You know, if you think about a baby that's born into a body, there's a soul and a spirit that's very much alive, but they're not used to their body. They have to figure out, oh, this hand is actually attached to me and how to, you know, be able to use it and move around in it. And I think a similar process happens after death is that there's a different kind of body that somebody moves into that they need to get used to. That is fascinating. You talked about how you were able to have a telepathic relationship with your husband. Is it possible to have telepathic dreams with other people who you might not even know or have a strong bond with? I think so. I know a couple of people who actually met their future spouses in a dream before they met them in waking life. And in both cases, the people who had the dream recognized the spouse who they hadn't met yet in waking life. And they even knew that that person was going to be their spouse. So I definitely think that can happen. I know that it is not uncommon for somebody to either they might consider it hearing a voice or they might see a name written out of somebody they don't recognize. And then later on in Waking Life, they have the actual encounter. We're both members of the International Association for the Study of Dreams. And I know that they've done contests where person A dreams to person B and person B to person C and then back to person A. Uh, are, have, have you been involved in that? Can you speak about Yes, that? actually. The last time there was an in-person conference, I won the Dream Telepathy Contest. And there used to be an online conference called Cyber Dreaming, which is a, a pun, P-S-I-B-E-R, Dreaming. It was an online conference that was two weeks long, and they had dream telepathy contests. I never won first place, but I won some honorable mentions and a, a third place in one of those contests. So I love dream telepathy. I love waking telepathy also. So is this a skill that can be learned? Yes, it is. And I think it starts with people learning how to cause their minds to be still, to allow there to be some quiet time, and to allow that interior silence to be there, to give us the opportunity to hear and receive and perceive what is other than our own mind, which in this day and age is pretty challenging because there are so many stimuli for us to be on 24 seven. 
And so it requires some conscious choice to say, I'm going to sit in silence without listening to a guided imagery, without having the TV on, without having any kind of external input. It, it is possible. I mean, I had challenges where I've been asked to be or imagine silence you know, for a minute. And even that is a difficult goal to get to. But it is, it is learnable. It is teachable. I want to turn to the idea of precognitive dreams. Tell me how you work with people who've had precognitive dreams. Well, first of all, I do want to say that I believe that the future is always probability. It's not predestined. And the reason that I think that's important is that sometimes somebody will have a dream of something that they consider a disaster, like they dream about somebody who they know dies and then that person actually dies. And then the dreamer sometimes is afraid, oh my gosh, did I cause that because I dreamed about it? And I do not think that we cause things to happen by dreaming about them. I do think it's possible to dream of future probabilities. So one way that I work with people is, first of all, to realize that if the dream is about themselves, if it's something that they want to have happen, it can help them be prepared for it. If it's something they don't want to have happen, then they can look to see, is there something I can change about this? So a simple, not life or death example with myself, some years ago, I was elected to become president of the International Association for the Study of Dreams. And at the annual conference of this organization, the incoming and outgoing president give a speech. So I had a dream that I was at this conference, I was at the meeting, I was listening to the previous speaker and all of a sudden realized, oh my gosh, I don't have my notes with me. And in the dream, I was trying to figure out, do I have time to run back to my hotel room and get my notes or can I just wing it? And I woke up feeling kind of panicked and fortunately, I emailed someone I know who is also a longtime member of this organization who's very wise, and she also is a big proponent of mutual dreaming. And she said, sometimes we have precognitive dreams so that we can change the future. That was all she said. And I thought, okay, here's how I can prepare for this. First of all, I made three copies of my notes, and I put them in three different places, and I rehearsed the speech enough that I could be able to give it without having to rely upon my notes. So fortunately, I'm glad that I made the three copies and put them in three separate places because I actually spilled coffee on one set of the notes. And this was a conference that was overseas. And so the tech is a lot different. Anyway, the point is I had my notes with me, but I also had rehearsed the speech well enough that... I didn't have to depend on my notes. And so I was able to have much more confidence. So somebody might hear that and say, well, that wasn't a precognitive dream because it didn't happen. You didn't you know, show up at the meeting without your notes. And I believe that had I not had that dream, that might have happened. But because I had it and listened to it and reached out to someone else who gave me some advice, then I was able to change the future. So... 
that's how I work with other people on those dreams. You know, is this something that you want to change? If so, what kind of change can you make? If it's a dream that involves another person, I think it's a matter of discernment to say, you know, should I tell this person or not? Because I don't want to scare somebody else if I don't need to. So sometimes what I will do if I have a dream that seems precognitive with someone else is I'll just say to that person, I had a dream that you were a dream character in and they'll either say, Oh, that's interesting period. And then I don't go on or they'll say, Oh, wow. Tell me about it. Or sometimes I'll ask them, do you want to hear about it? And so that way I'm not unwittingly scaring somebody when there's no need to do so. This is fascinating. And, and your example is, you know, one of the many reasons why dreams are so practical, because you get mm-hmm. actually practical answers to real life situations. With that, we're going to take a short break. We are speaking with Laurel Clark all about dreams, and we'll be right back. What do Thomas Jefferson, Elias Howe, and Paul McCartney have in common? They all understood the value of dreams, and as a result, the ideas, inventions, and creations from their dreams affect us to this day. What great ideas are you leaving on your pillow at night? Sign up for a complimentary consultation at my website, thedreamcoach.net, and discover why your dreams are a terrible thing to waste. Welcome back to Dream Power Radio with your host, Debbie Spector-Weissman. Yes, welcome back to Dream Power Radio. I'm your host, Debbie Spector-Weissman, and we're speaking about dreams with dreamologist Laurel Clark. Like I said before the break, there's so many practical aspects to dream work. In your opinion, how do dreams help spark creativity? I love that question, Debbie, because I believe that many creative people and many creative projects have been inspired by dreams. I think that it's very inspiring to hear or read stories of dream-inspired creations. Uh, One fairly well-known is that Paul McCartney's song, Yesterday, he heard the music to that in his dreams. The song, Let It Be, actually came from his mother, whose name was Mary, who came to him in a dream to help comfort him after a death. And there are many writers, inventors, entrepreneurs, whose sometimes huge money-making ideas came in dreams. Sometimes these things seem to come unbidden, like someone just has a dream with an idea that they write down. But I think more often what happens is when somebody is in their waking life working on a creative idea, they think about it, they use whatever resources they have consciously, and then get to a point that they have pretty much exhausted what the conscious mind can do. And I think that's why it's a common saying for people to say, I just need to sleep on it which is actually true, that when we go to sleep, we're able to turn that idea over to the subconscious mind. And then the dreams either put together ideas, information that we already have explored consciously, but it hasn't really clicked how it all fits together. Or sometimes we can draw upon what sometimes is called the collective unconscious to have knowledge, wisdom, insight come to us So this can happen in the form of 
messages about healing. One of the books I wrote that's actually not about dreams, it's about visualization. I received the title to that book from a dream. So it's a really interesting, engaging and fun practice to learn to ask our dreams for insight or guidance or creativity. That brings me to the subject of dream incubation, because actually in the past several months, I've been doing a lot of writing and I actually do make a declaration before I go to sleep and help me come up with an idea or Mm -hmm. a spark or something. And I do get, I'll get words or I'll get a phrase or just an idea for the subject. So I I am a wholehearted supporter of it. But I wanted to, to talk about dream incubation. What is your method for doing dream incubation? So first of all, for people who might not know, dream incubation is when we're specifically asking dreams for something. And if you think about like a a baby who's born premature or a chick who needs to be hatched, there's actually a device called an incubator. So incubation is the process of providing the best possible conditions for something to hatch or something to develop. So when we're incubating dreams, Part of providing the best possible conditions for that to happen is to have good sleep habits, to make sure that we're not on our electronic devices for at least an hour before sleep, that the room is dark, that it's quiet, and that then enables us to get into a deeper state of sleep, which then means that we are able to have deeper states of dreaming. Then in terms of actually asking the question, what I like to do is to, first of all, decide what is the question I want to ask and to have it be as open-ended as possible. So rather than saying, should I do this or that, which I think is a conscious mind question, to ask a question like, I wonder what this situation is here to teach me or show me what I need to know for this next chapter of my book or something like that. Then to do some stream of consciousness writing about it, meaning to just write nonstop, not even stopping to punctuate, to just allow whatever's in our conscious mind to come forth. And then sometimes I'll also draw a picture of it. So drawing the picture engages the right side of the brain and the writing engages the left side of the brain And I find when I do all of that, that I tend to have much clearer responses to the questions that I'm incubating in dreams. Speaking of remembering dreams, you've kept a dream journal for decades. So talk to me about the benefits of writing down your dreams. Well, I think one big benefit is that very often when we wake up, We jump out of bed. Sometimes we get awakened to an alarm. And even if there's a dream that we remember, if we don't write it down within a short period of time, we don't remember it anymore. Or we might remember the bare outline, but not all of the details. And I know that from dreams that I've written down. I mean, sometimes I'll think that I remembered a dream. And then when I go back and read, what I recorded in my dream journal, there are way more details and sometimes extra scenes that I really didn't remember when I was just thinking about it consciously. 
So to be able to capture the dream, to capture the details of the dream, that's one huge benefit. Another benefit you actually addressed when you were doing the intro to this show is that I might have a dream one night and I have some idea of what it means, but over time, when I'm keeping a dream journal, I might have repeated themes that come up in a dream. And by writing them down, I can say, wow, I've dreamed about this house before. It's not a house that was in my waking life, but it's been in my dreams before. So what's going on in my life when this particular dream or this particular house shows up in my dreams? And that we really can only tell if we have a record of it. So it gives us a way to have some ongoing awareness of ongoing life lessons, patterns that we're dealing with. Sometimes we can see something better with the perspective of time that we might not see when we're right in the middle of it. So all of those are some benefits of keeping a dream journal. So I guess you go back and read your journals. Do you go back to look at them like from 10, 20, 30 years ago? I don't too often, but occasionally I have. If there's like the example of the house That was something that I realized at one point. I had a dream about a house. And in the dream, I actually became lucid because I was in the dream. The house looked familiar. And then all of a sudden in the dream, I realized it was familiar because I had dreamed about it before. And so when that happened, then I started going back through my dream journals to see, you know, when and where had this house showed up because... It took me a while to even recognize that it was familiar and then that it was familiar because I had dreamed about it. Laurel, there have been some studies that show that more people have been remembering their dreams since the pandemic started. Has the pandemic had an effect on your dreams or is there a dream that you've had in the past year that's helped you cope with the pandemic? I would say yes to both questions. We were just talking about dream incubation and very early on in the pandemic, I incubated a few dreams. I asked different questions at different times. There was a a dream that I incubated about what are my personal lessons in this pandemic. I also am involved in some groups that do group dreaming. So there were some dreams we incubated about what are the global lessons that this pandemic is here to teach us? And the dream for me that was the most profound in helping me cope with it was, I don't remember how many months into the pandemic it was, but I live alone and I didn't realize to what extent it was really Uh, troubling me that I couldn't touch anybody. I mean, I have a lot of Zoom connections. I was having phone conversations, but I hadn't hugged anybody in however long it was, six weeks, two months. And I, I had never gone that long in my entire life without hugging somebody. I mean, I'm used to when I meet people, hug them hello, hug them goodbye. And I had a dream one night that I was with someone who... I don't even know that well in waking life. We both attend a metaphysical church. And in the dream, we saw each other and we both wanted to hug each other. And we we both hesitated because we knew we weren't supposed to do it. 
And then we hugged each other anyway. And it felt so warm and so connected. And then all of a sudden, I realized I was dreaming. And I thought to myself, wow, this is how I can have hugs in my dreams. And so I woke up feeling so relieved and connected and comforted. And one of the real benefits of it is that I called this woman up and I told her about the dream. And so we actually have developed a friendship with each other since then. So it's had benefits on a a couple of different levels. That is fantastic. Laurel, this time has flown by. I just have time for one final question. How can people find out more about you and your services? Well, thank you so much for the interview, Debbie. They can connect with me on my website, which is my name, laurelclark.com. So it's um, L-A-U-R-E-L-C-L-A-R-K. Or they can email me at laurel at laurelclark.com. And I would love to hear from anyone and talk more about dreams. I do individual dream work with people if they're interested in that also. Well, Laurel, thank you so much for being on Dream Power Radio today. We've been speaking with dreamologist Laurel Clark. I hope you've enjoyed today's program. If you have, please tell all your friends, follow me, and drop a positive review on your podcast site. And if you're on Clubhouse, join me in my club, Club Dreams, where I host weekly rooms on all aspects of dream work. Until next time, this is Debbie Spector Weissman saying, sweet dreams, everybody. You've been listening to Dream Power Radio with your host, Debbie Spector Weissman. For more information on Debbie or to sign up for her newsletter, go to dreampowerradio.com. This has been Dream Power Radio on the amazing Women and Men of Power Network, the world's leading positive programming network, powered by Raven International.